0: To show me your mic. I'm your host, Kyle Roderick, filling in again this week for your usual host, Chris Enns. I'll be filling in now and again with some fresh faces from around the world of podcasting. This week, I have Joe Chaplinski, host and one half of Release Notes, a weekly conversation about the business of Mac and iOS indie software development, everything but the code. We talked about meeting up at conferences and releasing content consistently. And we had a couple of connection issues in this one, but such as it is in a podcast about podcasting. I really enjoyed my chat with Joe, and uh, I hope you do too. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. I've got on the show today with me Joe Ciaplinsky, a creative director at Bombing Brain Interactive an iOS and Mac OS 10 development company. That's a that's a mouthful. And I think you guys are right now working on Teleprompt Plus 3 for iOS and Mac?
1: Yes, we are, our iOS version uh, of, of uh, you know, that was our big update, version 3, came right. out uh, in, in May, and we're still getting the Mac one together. We're in beta right now, and hopefully uh, we'll be shipping that in the next month or so.
0: Awesome, awesome. Uh, you're also the creator of x 2 Y an aspect ratio calculator, and fiend. I'm going to say Feen, mm-hmm. uh, a timer for live performers. Uh, both of those are for iOS. Uh, Joe is also the co-host of Release Notes, which is why we have him on today, a weekly conversation about the business of Mac and iOS, indie software development, everything but the code. So thanks, Joe, for joining me today. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself if I didn't cover everything there, and uh, <laughs> what got you into podcasting?
1: Uh, yeah, so th- that you did pretty much cover most of it. <laughs> pretty much everything that's, that's going on. What got me into podcasting uh, was my co-host Car- uh, Charles Perry. Uh-huh. I met him at at uh, 360 iDev uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, we just kind of—he was one of those guys. He's the extrovert who actually shows up at conferences and makes sure that everyone is going to dinner together and actually talking to people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you <laughs> know. Wh- whereas a lot of us like to hide in the corners and you know, kind of, sort of introduce ourselves slowly. You know, he was—he's sort of like, hey, what are you doing for dinner? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, and so he invited me and uh, Tim, uh, one of our uh, my business partners, a bombing brain, because we were there together at the at the conference. Uh, and he had met him the year prior, and he he just invited us out to dinner with a bunch of guys. And there was like maybe 10, 15 people at the table, and we just chatted. And I didn't think I had made a particular impression or anything like that. We were yeah. just like you know chatting with people. I barely talked to Charles that day, uh, but then you know later on down the line, you know we got to talking. I, I helped him out with some design work and things, and. Uh, he said, you know, he just asked me out of the blue one time, you know, do you have you ever considered doing a podcast? And I said, well, yeah, actually, I I've, I had been thinking about that. But, you know, I didn't know. I've been blogging for years, but I didn't really want to do a show like on my own. It's I don't know. I didn't know if I could pull that off. And, you know, we just got to, cha- you know, chatting about it back and forth. And then months went by, you know, different things happen. You go in different directions. And then it sort of just came back together one at, at one point. We just said, yeah, we really should do this podcast. And we started mapping out what we wanted to do uh we found that we agreed pretty early on on you know the direction we wanted to take that we wanted to talk about business uh you know we didn't want to be you know the another show that that, that covered like the news that was going on in the in the apple world because right. people do that really well already there's a lot of great shows that are doing that uh you know we wanted to offer something you know a, a, our perspective on on the business side of things and so you know with that framework we just started putting together ideas and and uh, started recording
0: nice nice okay so then were you I mean this must have been what a time frame maybe 2 years ago or so.
1: Yeah, we're about a year and some odd months in. Sure. I, I don't know exactly when we started but we're at episode 60 something uh, 67 or 68. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh so yeah, that's so and we put it out pretty much religiously every week. So it's mm-hmm. been out every Monday since we started. So 52 weeks was our you know, 53 was our our first year anniversary. So um, you yeah, we're, we're past the
0: year point now at this point. Well, congrats on that. I know that's kind of a, it's one of those milestone moments for podcasters. Mm-hmm. It's like the, you've got the 50, you've got the 100 and you kind of have that, that 52 in there too, where you can kind of yeah. double up the, be uh, like, Hey, we, we've made it this far um, yeah. on the whole year yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, I remember listening to uh, it was just I forget what show it was, but it was the guy from Libsyn uh, basically said that if if your podcast gets past that 10 to 20 episode mark, then you're probably going to keep going. But a lot of most podcasts don't ever get more than 10 episodes. They just kind of drop it. So, right. uh, Yeah, I was happy that we we still seem to have things to talk about every week.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) with your with your co-host, Charles Perry, how did you guys decide on the name release notes? If you can talk about that.
1: Uh, we went back and forth on many different things. Like it it was, you know, almost as bad as naming bands when I was a kid, you know, teenager trying to play in music bands and I've just never (laughs) been happy. I, I suck at naming everything. I've just never come up with a good name for anything. Uh, and we went back and forth on quite a few different ideas uh, and for some reason, release notes kind of stuck. One of it was, you know, we wanted to make sure we can get a good URL too, and we couldn't get release notes because that was gone. But at mm-hmm. least we can get release notes which was related enough, and the Twitters and stuff was all available. And it was a name that's that you know we kept coming back to, despite trying other ideas and and right. maybe thinking think about other things. This this name kind of stuck with us.
0: So it's it's kind of in relation to the uh, iOS App Store where you go and download download an application see what the updates have been and that's where the release notes end up is that sort of the
1: yeah i mean that, that's a traditional thing in software development in general uh, okay. you know whenever I, I mean it's supposed to something a good developer is supposed to do is write detailed <laughs> notes of what's new in the new update and you know everyone laughs because apple's release notes usually just say updates and bug fixes
0: Fa- facebook apple all those guys yeah 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 they get lazy about they get
1: lazy about the documentation which is sort of an inside joke constantly with uh, developers who are also you know are often much more conscientious of that sort of thing and they you know because they want to know exactly what changed so they right. go looking looking for all the newest goodies but I think people like Apple understand that the average user on an iPhone never reads anything that you <laughs> in terms of text uh, so they don't bother uh, but you know so that yeah that's the whole part yeah the idea behind it was was linking it to the
0: well that's that's funny because um it's sort of a like an inside geeky joke uh regarding very developer focused stuff, but in your intro in maybe the first twenty seconds or so, you guys say everything but the code and so the yep. the podcast is focused mainly on business of development and i o s apps and things like that um what was the i guess guiding factor in deciding not to talk about code in general, especially with some of the kind of big names in development that you guys have had on recently, um, leaving the code out?
1: I think it's partly, it's it's similar to the idea of of not wanting to do just the the weekly roundup of what's going on in the Apple world. I mean, we do talk about current events, but... Other people were doing it well, and I think there are other codes, uh, other shows out there that are doing the code fairly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, my background, I'm a designer. I, I have written a few apps of my own. I've been digging into code more and more, but I am definitely not an expert on the code side. And so if I'm going to do a show weekly about that's highly technical, I'm going to get lost in my own show. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Ch- and Char- Charles is, you know, a much more established developer and he knows all that stuff inside and out, but I don't think that's his favorite thing to talk about. Even when you go to conferences and you, you, start struck up a conversation with Charles, he's mm-hmm. almost always more interested in, in your pricing strategy in your, you know, how you researched your product and things like that, uh, than he is uh, on the code side and how you implemented things.
0: Have you guys found that that makes the, the topics that you discuss every week a little more relevant, uh, Through time, like making making the back back catalog of content more relatable, uh, say a year down the line, instead of talking about, uh, oh, my gosh, like Objective C or whatever, moving into Swift and needing to then update the code that you guys are referencing. Have you found that that's easier to do leaving out the code?
1: Yeah. And it was one of those nice little side bonuses that came along with, and we realized that early on a few shows in, we realized that most of our shows are going to be pretty listenable two, three years from now, because you're always going to, you're always going to have a debate over how to price your app. You're always going to have a debate on uh, marketing and, and other things. I mean, yeah, we try to keep the content somewhat timeless. And as a result, we do get a lot of downloads on our back catalog more so than a show that I guess that's only about, you know, what Apple released this week. Uh, so that is helpful uh, for us. I, I feel like we're building this library of, you know, hours and hours of content that people could go and listen to five, 10 years from now and, and hopefully still find a, a good bit of relevance in it. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a nice uh, side sort of bonus for, for us for the, for the path we decided to take.
0: Right. So you guys are 66 episodes in right now, at least the ones that have been released um, and you mentioned um, that you've basically stayed on schedule more or less every week, week to week. Um, I know a couple of the episodes you've got are two part episodes that you probably record, you know, a long conversation and then split up from two weeks mm-hmm. or so. Um, what is that recording process like and and how do you guys manage that?
1: Another one of the decisions we made early on, and we agreed uh, on right away, was that we didn't want a show that was going to go on for an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are a, there are a lot of great shows out there. Believe me. I listen to a lot of the shows and uh, that go on that long. And if you can keep it that interesting, that's awesome. And. But what I, I, you know, we hear a lot from our users that they're really happy that we keep it around thirty-five minutes for the most part. We try to get somewhere between twenty-eight and forty minutes ish. Uh, we don't we're not like hard stopping it at a particular time, but we do want to keep it within that sort of average daily commute kind of length. And a lot of our users like that, our listeners I should say uh, like that because they they you know will tell us like oh it's cool I don't have to you know I'm not going to have to cut you off halfway through the episode. It finishes just in time when I'm getting home from whatever. Uh, so we like to keep it in small chunks. And so the first time, I don't I don't know where our first double episode was. It was pretty early on that we, we just had so much to talk about on a particular topic. We kept going past the, And It's one of the reasons why I wrote this this fiend timer app, by the way, was so I could time the podcast as I was recording it.
0: Nice. Um, OK, I was I was definitely interested in knowing whether or not you were kind of eating your own dog food, as it were, in oh, yeah. terms <laughs> of, you know, timing yourself. And, and if I was on a timer right now and whether or not yeah. I needed to <laughs> whether or not I needed to know if we were at a hard stop.
1: Right. Well, no, your show is your show. I'll go as long as you like, but, uh, yeah, when it's on our show, we're aware of the time. And if we know we're going to go over, then it's a matter of, uh, you know, cause we don't like to heavily edit. I don't like to chop out content if it's good. So I'm not going to rip out 10 minutes of a conversation, you know, just because I, I think Jared Sinclair's episode went pretty long. It went like 40 some odd minutes and we just let it go because it was all good. It wasn't long enough to split it into two, but it wasn't, you know, uh, but yeah, usually once I see that we're like, feeling like we have a lot more to say and I can see that we're past that t- 35 minute timer. I will just let us keep going. And then if, and if we can stretch it into an hour or so, then we split it off into two episodes. Uh, and that works pretty well for us. So yeah. Like I said, we keep a very rigid schedule. We absolutely you know want to release every Monday. I think there were one or two days where we were a couple hours late, but I don't think we've ever missed a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so we don't record, we generally record on Thursdays, but not every week is the same. If we're going to do an interview with someone, uh, we try to schedule work around their schedule, uh, and record different hours. And then of course our own personal schedules, you know, we, we both travel a lot, we go to different conferences and other things. So, you know, we often find ourselves having to record two episodes in one week and get ourselves ahead a week or two. Uh, but again, the timeless nature of, of the subject matter allows us to do that. So if we have to record, I don't think we've ever been more than two or three episodes ahead, but, mm-hmm. uh, like right around WWDC week, we knew there was going to be, you know, that was going to be a busy one. And, uh, we end up recording an episode anyway that, that week. But, um, you know, so sometimes we just kind of it just takes a little bit more forethought. Like, you know, it's it's in our general kind of kind of anal retentive nature as both of us, I think, to not want to miss a week. And so we we're real diligent about that.
0: Gotcha. OK, so do you guys end up uh, you and Charles end up on a Skype conversation similar to what we're doing right now? Uh, do you utilize yeah. a different system?
1: Yeah, no, we do use Skype. Uh, and I don't do a double ender. I'm doing what we're doing right now, which is, uh, I guess it's, you know, uh, I, I learned it from Dan Benjamin. I don't know who, who came up with it first, but basically, uh, you know, I, I do everything with a, a separate Mac for every person who's on the show. So when it's me and Charles, it's just the Mac mini. I'll use the Mac mini to Skype him. Uh, even though my main machine that I'm recording on is an iMac. Uh, I send that signal, uh, of the Mac mini into my IO box, which is a, it's an old, real old Motu 828 Mark II uh, that I've had forever when I used to record music. Uh, and then I, I send him out a mix minus, uh, which basically is just a mix without my voice. Uh, without I'm sorry, without his own voice. Uh, and then if I add a, th- a guest, so we have a, a third person, then I just use a laptop or some other machine that I can find around the house and uh, you know add that in as a third machine. So every it's not a Skype conference call. It's It's a separate Skype call for each person, and then I mix them all together into one.
0: Right. And do you do basically the same thing for uh when you have guests on so that it mm-hmm. you're kind of recording their end as well and that's coming into either a separate machine and mixing down to the the same uh the same DAW?
1: Yes. So, yeah, yeah, I, I record everything into Logic, but yeah, we, I, I do exactly the same way. So we've never had two guests, so I would need a fourth computer at that point, which I'm mm-hmm. sure I could find one in the house. But yeah, so, uh, but there there have been a few instances. I think when we did Sinclair's episode, we I was away, so I actually had to have him uh, record his own end on that one because my mobile rig doesn't have that. I have a whole separate rig we can talk about for when I'm traveling and we record on the road. Um, but uh, because I don't have the ability to do a Mixed Minus at that point. So then I, I, I kind of get stuck with, with having to record, mm-hmm. uh, having everyone record on their own and then uh, sending me the files. Uh, I have Charles record a backup file anyway. He just records in QuickTime, you know, player, uh, records himself just in case, uh, you know, we end up with some kind of signal problem or, uh, you know, Skype you know, throws us for a loop for a second and we lose a bit of the audio. Uh, but I found the Skype quality is is good enough that even if I swap out like a single phrase from Charles, you're not going to hear the difference between what he recorded and what I'm recording. So, you know, all things being the same, I prefer to record all the separate channels myself and not have to worry about syncing up separate files later.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I've, you know, personally, I've found that the quality of Skype can really fluctuate drastically, even during the, the recording that we're having right now. I mean, the listeners will hear this, but um, mm-hmm. sometimes it'll, it'll drop out a little bit. Skype manages right. the quality such that at certain times you sound fantastic. You sound great. And others, you know, you end up sounding like a robot, but even, mm. I mean, your voice is fantastic. So on your, <laughs> on your end, <laughs> you just sound great. But I, yeah, it's, it's Skype is sort of the bane of a, of a podcaster's existence at this point. And trying to find yep. a, a different tool to use has been, it's been challenging, um, it, just a little bit of my background, I host a show, a daily show, and Skype, thinking of the issues you might have week to week, compound that by, you know, multiply it by four, and that's yeah. that's what ends up with a daily show, and it's just, it's a mess sometimes. It's a terrible mess, but you mentioned a, uh, a mobile rig. Uh, we mm-hmm. can get into that in the gear section if you'd like. Um, okay. I wanted to, let's see. I wanted to take a quick break and thank our sponsor for this episode, Campaign Monitor. Campaign Monitor makes sending email fun, easy, and beautiful. And when you need to send an email campaign in a hurry, try out their brand new tool, Canvas. It gets you started with a range of beautifully designed templates and an infinite number of layout choices. The possibilities for that email you are making are endless. Check them out, Campaign Monitor dot com and canvas.cm you can just drag and drop all the different elements all around the table all the images get resized automatically the typography looks perfect all the templates just right out of the box look exactly how you want them to and you can just rearrange things add your logo add your content and press publish press send get that email out there Put something out into the world. Canvas.cm and Campaign Monitor makes that incredibly easy. A spectacular thank you to Campaign Monitor for supporting. Show me your mic and good stuff. Uh, most recently, you guys had a mention by Marco Armin on ATP um, mm-hmm. where you, I think, tweeted out a post that that your listener numbers had grown pretty significantly uh, from mm-hmm. from that mention, uh, how are you guys tracking those uh, statistics right now?
1: Uh, we use Libsyn, uh okay. And so they they give us download stats on you know, all of our episodes. Uh, you know, every every day we can we can go in there in real time and see who's downloading where. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Marco thing was, he, well, first, uh, you know, when Overcast came out, he put us in the section under Apple development. He right. put us in that little group of recommended podcasts and we doubled our audience when that happened. Nice. Uh, we thought it was, we thought it was the fluke. We thought it was a bunch of people like me testing it, you know? And like, so they, I was getting downloaded from, you know, two different apps. And so therefore I was getting counted as two downloads. So we thought, okay, we're just not going to look at our numbers for the next week or two as people are testing out different podcast apps. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm just assuming that instead of twice as many people they we just had a bunch of people doing it twice. Uh, and, but then those numbers stuck, uh, for the most part. <laughs> and so, and mm-hmm. then, and then again, when he mentioned us directly on ATP, uh, the little wild guy that was last week's episode, then, you know, we got another pretty significant spike. So Marco has been very good to us lately.
0: So with, I mean, speaking of, of sort of timeless content, have you found that, uh, listeners are kind of jumping on board? And and writing the ship, as it were, from the episode you're currently on forward or are they kind of digging randomly into the back catalog of, of your I w- podcast?
1: I wouldn't say randomly. I'd say definitely they do dig back. And so every time we get a, a, an increase in numbers on a particular week, the previous three or four episodes at least will get a, a pretty uh, nice spike as well. Uh, and then what we'll see is there are certain episodes in the past, and depending on the time of year, like we we do every well, we're calling it every year now. This year was the second time we did it. Uh, we did a big like preview of WWDC. And I talk about, you know, because I lived in San Francisco for years. So I like, I talk about all the different logistics of how to get from the airport to whatever and, you know, my favorite bars and coffee shops and things like that. And people seem to like that kind of content. So around that time, that episode started from last year, started getting downloaded quite a bit. And then we did a new version of it. Um, so yeah, there are certain episodes, depending on the topics that are hot around right now, you know, if, if it's similar, we did a, an episode that was related to that. We'll see some extra downloads there. Uh, but so I don't think people are digging all the way back per se into 60 episodes. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty, pretty awesome. I imagine a few people are, but, uh, but definitely the most recent few that people will dive into as they jump on board, which is really cool.
0: And you said you had a background in, in mostly writing, uh, before podcasting.
1: Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was trained as a high school English teacher. Actually, uh, that was that's what my college degree was in uh, secondary education in English. So uh, yeah, I did quite a bit of writing in
0: college. So are the do kind of your uh, related blog posts mo- more specifically? I saw uh, one recently regarding the iOS eight App Store over on uh, App Figures. Um, mm-hmm. Do topics that you are currently writing about help to guide the conversations on release notes?
1: You know, it's uh, uh, the one thing about starting the podcast that bums me out ever so slightly is that uh, I sort of I guess I have a certain amount of itch I have to scratch when it comes to sharing information with the community and hanging out and talking about this stuff. Uh, And so I that used to be my blog and I used to write quite often on it uh, almost daily uh, reacting to different things. And then I started the podcast and I've been writing a lot less as a result. Uh, And so I've been trying to get back into uh, writing more often and more frequently on the blog, and I think if anything, the opposite will be true. That what we talk about on the podcast will then trigger something that makes me want to do a follow up writing uh, piece. Uh, sometimes it does go the other way, uh, and sometimes you know these related posts, like uh, uh, when the folks at App Figures ask me to do this um, this uh, post on the, the new app bundles. Uh, you know, they, that was sort of a coincidence that they did that just at the same time that we happened to be tra- chatting about the same thing on the podcast. So ah, that okay. was more, that was actually more coincidental than anything else. Uh, but yeah, we had that episode planned and then I just got this notice saying, Hey, would you like to, you know, contribute to this blog? And I'm, of course I'm going to say yes to that. <laughs> uh, so, but it was great because it gave me a little bit of writing. It was It was just you know they were awesome they just gave me this framework of here are the questions we'd like to have you answer and i just all i had to do is answer a bunch of questions you know so uh they really polished that up for me and, and turned it into a, a workable piece which makes it easier uh but yeah i need to i need to get back on blogging more mm. I, I enjoy it i enjoy it so much but at the same time it's you know i talk on the po- blog you know on the podcast and then i feel like okay that's sort of settled in my mind i don't need to talk about it anymore but i, I probably should be writing about this stuff too
0: yeah I, i've i've I have myself. I've been trying to get into writing as well. I find sitting sitting down and trying to formulate my words. See, I'm I'm, I'm going to stumble over this because that's the point I'm trying to make. Sitting down and trying to formulate my words into uh, sentences through text is far more difficult because I I keep finessing it to a point of uh, it being not coherent anymore. It becomes either too distilled and not myself. Or it just becomes too complex uh, because I'm trying to include so much of what I'm trying to say in there. Through, through voice and through trying to have a conversation either with the person on the other end or even if you were simply just dictating what you were saying. I, I do find it's a little easier to do, especially week to week. If you're on such a rigorous schedule of, of trying to put episodes out every week, it, it, it talking becomes one of those things that is easy for, for humans to do. And so it just feels, personally, uh, coming from a podcaster's perspective, it feels a lot more natural. And I'm sure that maybe that's, that might be a little bit of of what you've got behind yours, um, but it's interesting to hear, coming from like an English teacher background, how um, the the idea of writing, and the way that you guys structure your episodes, um, it does become very literary, I'm not sure if that's, that's the right term for it, but it's, it's very mm-hmm. conversational, but still very topical. So I'm interested in knowing how do you guys manage uh, show notes or discussing topics between you and Charles?
1: Yeah, so every week we we kind of have this you know uh, Twitter DM back and forth. Like, oh, all right, what you know, what do you want to talk about this week? Uh, we do keep a list uh, that you know, just a text file that have of future topic ideas. Uh, and we just run down those. Sometimes, you know, we'd look at them and go, all right, well, let's look at the list. And, okay, you know, let's not do that one after right. all. And, and, you know, or let's do this. Uh, let's do this this week. Or this one can wait. And, you know, some of them involve other people that we have to wait for and to schedule. And uh, other times it's just something happens. You know, like when when that Brent Simmons piece went off and then Jared Sinclair wrote his piece, it was obvious we had to get Jared Sinclair on the, immediately. Uh, so as far as getting topics together go, we just kind of go back and forth and say, well, what do you want to talk about? So we have a master list that we know of topics, you know, that we kind of try to keep feeding. Uh, And then, you know, we let that be interrupted by things as they come up, uh, new ideas that come up. Uh, As far as structuring the show goes, Charles is amazing at that. He uh, always, you know, we basically both kind of write our thoughts down uh, for the week and he organizes them into an outline. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just having the outline, I don't, I find I don't really reference the outline that much when I'm actually recording. Just having it there is sort of like a nice, jump off point you know and as usually it's just a list of questions you know the, the, the topics that we want to make sure we cover within this uh within this broader topic and that alone helps us really structure it and i was afraid at first that that would end up sounding too rigid but at the same time it does keep us on task it keeps us from wandering off into the woods and talking about something completely <laughs> unrelated um and so we've kind of learned to work within that framework and and make it sound more and more natural i think uh, over time just just getting to know each other i mean charles and i didn't really i mean the first Our first episode was maybe the fourth or fifth conversation we'd ever had together uh so you know just doing this every week I've gotten to know him a lot better and and therefore I can kind of sense where he's going with a topic and it's you know, you kind of it's it's funny you were talking about a difference between writing and uh, recording a podcast to me is it's it's almost like a live performance like a, if you're a musician, it's like playing on stage versus you know recording at home. Uh, you know writing for me is because I know I have the ability to keep working on it until it 's perfect, I will <laughs> you know, right, and, yeah. and so you, know, you will tweak those thoughts, you will rewrite that sentence, you will move it around whereas when you 're recording a podcast there 's two of us we turn we hit record, we talk it 's more like a jazz improv and if, <laughs> if, if it 's if it's not quite perfect and we said something a little off or wrong it 's okay because in in the context of a live performance, it just goes over people 's heads you know if you record a live, you know, I, I've never understood the fascination people have with live albums, you know, of rock bands and things like that. Like they listen, they're like, oh, that was my favorite, you know, recording is this live recording from whatever. To me, live recordings always sound flawed. They always sound like, you know, like live recordings do, like you screwed up. And when you were there and you were, you know, excited and all that energy in that room with all those people, you didn't care. It just went right over your head. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're sitting there, you're scrutinizing it later uh, in headphones. To me, that's when all all of the flaws pop out and it's like, ah, you know, yeah. Uh, so I always prefer studio recordings.
0: That's a really interesting analogy too. Um, just because from, like you said, from a listener's perspective, while it is either live or, uh, not being, not being referenced later, it sounds fantastic. Uh, we over on good stuff, we, uh, stream our shows live a lot. And so it truly is part of that live performance kind of vibe. And we even, we utilize a, uh, a stage kind of a stage performing uh system called q lab and so it quite literally it is a stage performance recorded through audio um not literally but it's it's not on stage it's (laughs) it's a performance (laughs) either way um so that's yeah i find i find that analogy to be really apt to to sort of the the medium in general yeah Mm -hmm. it's nice yeah um so let's see here do you want to get into uh some of the gear that you've got let's start with the mobile rig if you'd like um sure you said you go to a bunch of conferences have you guys found yourselves recording any of these episodes or even interviews live and in person at these conferences or have you have you had a show with charles live and in person
1: yeah, the first time we did the only time we've done it so far, uh, we did it at WWDC this year after and we waited too long. We should have done it right after the announcements, like on Tuesday. But instead, we waited till Friday when we were both basically getting ready to leave <laughs> uh, to go back home. Uh, but we didn't have an episode ready. And we thought, well, we're in the same room and I brought my stuff. So let's just hit record, you know, and basically my mobile rig is just a, a, a Mackie Onyx. So it's just this little two you know, input IO box that it has two XLRs in it. And there was really nice preamps. And I just plugged in a Sure SM58 into that on, you know, the two of them. Uh, And we just chatted that way uh, and sent that directly into my MacBook uh, Air. And that was the first time we had ever recorded an episode while we were looking at each other. And it was weird, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, but, but a lot of people commented that that episode seemed to flow conversationally. And it's because, you know, when you're looking at somebody, you can make eye contact and you know, when they're going to stop and you know, when to, you know, not to interrupt and things where you can't do that when you're doing what we're doing now. Uh, and so, you know, it, that felt so good that we actually started experimenting with uh, doing a video, not recording a video, but actually, you know, and we've tried different methods. We haven't found anything that works really well for us yet. Uh, it was interesting. You mentioned earlier about Skype and how it prioritizes the audio, uh, you know, in such a way that you, you know, it tries to hold on to that signal no matter what, if it has to degrade quality, it will, but at least you don't lose it completely. Um, and what we tried to do was keep recording with Skype and audio, but then we were trying to FaceTime at the same time mm-hmm. and, you know, FaceTime by comparison, Apple, has this like they want the quality to be super high at all times and if it drops it just drops <laughs> you know so yeah or keep it would keep it out of sync completely like the video would just be three seconds behind and uh it wasn't really helping us out that much so we haven't done it that much lately uh but yeah as far as the mobile rig goes that's it's just real simple and i can only do two channels at once and so i record that way uh whenever you know, I I'm out on the road and we're going to do an episode. If Charles is out on the road, then he just brings his road podcaster mic with him because it's USB and he just plugs that into his machine. He he runs off a 15 inch MacBook Pro all the time anyway, so it's pretty much the same machine for him. He's just you know carrying his mic with him.
0: Okay, neat, neat. So you, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're pretty well versed in knowing what what ports go into what, knowing <laughs> how to set up this whole thing um, you've got a background in music. How has that helped you kind of jumpstart your, your whole understanding of podcasting in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been recording music for pretty much as long as computers were capable of doing it. I don't have like an audio engineering degree or any background in the old hardware, but, uh, you know, early software was all based on the old hardware. And so if you understand how a mixing board works, you know, then it becomes pretty easy to understand that software. So I used, uh, you know, way back in the day, there was a program called deck and then uh Cubase for a while. And then I jumped on the logic band wagon years ago and I still like to record music. And so I know my way around logic fairly well. So when it came to recording a podcast, I mean, in a lot of ways you're sort of killing a fly with a shotgun, you know, logic can do so much more than you need it to do for yeah. a podcast. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I find it to be the best tool for the job. Like I can't do it in GarageBand because editing in GarageBand is is horrendous. Um, and there aren't that many great tools out there that are specifically geared for podcast recording. I hear there are a few that are in development. I would love to try them out. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people come to me and say like, oh man, how do you get like, you know, they still want to start a podcast and they tried, they get logic and they're like, I don't even know where to start. And I'm like, yeah, that's how everyone feels when they first launched <laughs> logic <laughs> because it's yeah. not, it, w- it was not made to be intuitive, especially not to people who are used to software. If you are. I, like I always tell people, if you are an old school audio engineer, if you ran sound for you know bands back in the day, you probably have a better understanding of the software than you know if you're an expert at, at software. Uh, so, you know, I was lucky; I was always around music and musical equipment, so that stuff sort of comes naturally to me. And I, I'm always curious about it, so I'm always trying to, to you know play with it and find different plugins and other things to make things sound better.
0: Sure. Okay. So you've, I mean. In your studio now, then let's start at the, at the Mm -hmm. microphone. Uh, You mentioned the Shure SM58. Is that the one you're on right now?
1: No, actually uh, when I'm home, I have an audio technica. I'm I'm looking right now at the model number. Hang (laughs) on. No, sure. I've had this mic forever. Uh, Oh yeah. It's the, it's the uh, 4030, um, which is this old school, you know, condenser mic that's, you know, mainly for singing. And I bought it, you know, to sing and record music years ago. Uh, and so when we started the podcast, it was like the debate. You know, everyone wants to use this mic versus that mic, and these are all the podcasting mics, and you should go dynamic versus this. And I just thought, well, you know what? I have a nice mic, and it sounds good, so I'm just going to keep using it. And um, so that's the main microphone. I do have a pop filter I run on that, and it's, it's an old-school XLR mic. This is not a USB modern mic at all, um, which I prefer to, to use just old-school audio gear wherever possible. Uh, And I just run that into uh, my board, which is, as I mentioned earlier, my Motu A28 Mark II, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an old FireWire 400 device. It can do up to 16 channels at once. Um, And actually, uh, it's got eight channels on its own, but then it's got optical outputs. This is one of the early optical um, devices. Uh, And then I plug that into a a separate uh, rack unit. It's a Behringer that I have that gives me eight more channels. Uh, so I could record like a full band, full drum set and everything in here if I really wanted to. Um,
0: Do you have the the optical uh, out going to that Behringer, you said, or is that just they're they're kind of chained together through yeah, FireWire? They're,
1: they're chained together through an optical uh, connection. Okay. And then uh, they come into the Mac via an, a FireWire 400, which is now going through a... Thunderbolt conversion, <laughs> little plug mm-hmm. plugin. Yep. Uh, so yeah, but FireWire 400 is plenty fast. Uh, you know, if people are able to get away with quite a bit on USB, let alone the old, even the old school FireWire is still pretty quick. Uh, I haven't had a need to replace this machine. I'm hoping that someday you know there'll be really good Thunderbolt devices that'll let you do even more. But for now, it's working. So I don't, and it sound, sounds good. So I'm not playing around with that. I do send my mic signal into a kind of a preamp that has you know just a little bit of compression and other things on it as well. Um, I only have that can only do one channel though, so that's enhancing my mic a little bit, but not Charles. So that's sure. why I sound better than you, Charles. Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, that's that's my magic sauce there. But I do run a few plugins for him on on all oh, both of us actually on the other end. So in software as well, I come in to, with a little bit of compression and then a little bits of EQ, and uh, then I just throw a little speech enhancer on there too. To, bring up a, a little bit more of, of the bass, especially in his voice.
0: Sure. Uh, so I've got two questions then. Um, the cardioid condenser mic you've got here, uh, that needs mm-hmm. to be phantom powered, correct? Correct.
1: And so, so the A2-8 provides that, so. Okay, gotcha.
0: Is yeah. there is there a reason in particular? I mean, I can kind of tell that you had some sort of compression or um, gating going on because you aren't you aren't getting a lot of room noise necessarily. So is there anything... Um, in the, in meat space, in the physical world that you're using to kind of dampen the whole condenser microphone, uh, problem as it were.
1: Yes. Uh, so yeah, my, my preamp does do a little bit of gating there. Uh, and, but as far as right now, that's all you're getting. When I do the podcast, I also use a, a, a noise gate on both Charles and I's uh and it's set uh, when i started this i had it set way too strong and it was just chopping us off like where you can barely you know, you can li- literally hear our breaths getting cut off and i'm like okay yeah. that's a little too harsh uh <laughs> so i had to learn to kind of balance i live in new york you know and it's it's no there's jackhammers going on outside right now so oh my gosh uh, if, if you're not hearing any of that right now that's that's pretty good um i'm doing pretty well i also you know I, I i joked on the podcast about this early on but it's true i live in a cave you know but i'm on the sixth floor but in my room i tend to I have blackout curtains and I shut the lights out and I keep it really dark in here and those curtains are pretty thick. So they, they tend to do a pretty good job of muffling outside noise as well.
0: Ah, okay. Interesting.
1: And I've got, and I've got some uh, foam on the walls as well to keep cut hmm. back on echo and, and is an, the one room in the house that actually has a rug on the floor, just a kind of a throw rug on the floor to keep that, uh, sound dampened as well. Cause yeah, the echo is driving me nuts. I still get a little bit of a tiny little bit of slapback that I'm, I'm still trying to get rid of, but I haven't quite gone as far as like putting a giant foam panel behind me, but
0: right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there eventually. It sounds really cozy. It sounds nice.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a warm kind of room yeah. and uh, you know, this microphone is just amazing. I mean, you could use it. It's so versatile. You can use it, record an acoustic piano if you wanted to, or uh, you know, mainly it's used for lead vocals, but yeah, I like it. So that's why I've never thought, you know, I never found a need to really replace it. It just sort of worked for me. Whereas Charles didn't have a microphone going into this. So, uh, you know, he, he did the research and found that, you know, a lot of people recommended that road, uh, mic, And so he likes it a lot and it, 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 it improved his sound immediately. And, uh, you know, we both agree he sounds great. So
0: is there a reason that you are, uh, doing kind of analog, uh, effects to the voice analog compression, gating, things like that instead of software, even though the podcast is kind of recorded and mixed down?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have that box and so I'm just using it okay. uh, on my, okay. on, on my end. But, yeah, as far as uh, you yeah, know I do process as well in plugins. i'm not a, I'm not one of these analog heads who thinks that you know the software world will never catch up. I think in a lot of ways, uh, the software has just enhanced our abilities. I mean, some of the stuff you can do with with drums now. Uh, you know, and these other kinds of samples even just sound amazing, mm-hmm. and and uh, a lot of guitar processing software. I yell at my, I argue with my brother all the time about this because he's a he's an old school guitar player with his Marshall set up, and you know he's got all his authentic old school gear, and I agree with him in theory that it all sounds better, but at, at the same time, I can spend three hundred bucks and and have any sound I want, and he has to spend like ten thousand dollars to have yeah. one particular sound. Uh, So, you know, I I do think the digital age is amazing, and it's allowing us to do all kinds of stuff, and. Like I said, even and a lot of this is just because I is the equipment I have sitting here in the room. So I might as well use it. But, you know, I, I don't find that the episodes I do on the mobile rig sounds any less. And, you know, that's an SM58. It's just a hundred dollar microphone plugged into a little, you know, that, that Mackie box cost me like one hundred twenty five bucks. Uh, and it sounds great to me. I don't really have a big. The only thing I need is a, is a pop filter for my mobile setup. I, I've noticed <laughs> I'm no, that's how you can always tell what I've been. I'm not at home recording. You can always hear my pops.
0: Got Got to have my pops. Well, that's that's awesome. Um, you mentioned that you have recorded, uh, I guess, guitar and drums internally. Do you kind of have your studio available and open to do things other than podcasting, recording drums, uh, other musical instruments?
1: Yeah, just for myself. I mean, I, oh, okay. there's, I'm, I'm always surrounded by my yeah, – I'm a bass player mainly, so I have my bass here. I have an acoustic guitar here. I have a couple electric guitars. I have an electronic drum kit. I mean, it is a New York City apartment, so I couldn't play a full-on acoustic set in here without probably getting yelled at. Although, who knows? In this neighborhood, you know, people are pretty noisy. Uh, but I do play the the electric kit, and that's that, – but again, with, with the sample sounds that I can use now, I mean, mm-hmm. some of these uh, – like TuneTrack and these other kinds of oh, companies my gosh. Are, are, yeah, They're so- recording sounds that, that yeah they were recorded by a, a high end drummer like near near Z in the, like the top studios all over the world. And yeah. so you just you're hitting that drum and you're hearing him hitting that drum, you yeah. know, 10 years ago or whatever. But uh, those things sound amazing. And yes, I agree. If I were a full time drummer, I would probably not love playing on an electric kick. I get the I get the notion that playing on that kit feels different. And I understand that that's not great. But as far as recording goes, I mean, to record acoustic drums is one of the hardest things in the world to do. Yep. Uh and the microphone setup and all the other crazy stuff that you need, uh, you know, it's just so hard to get a good sound. So when those sounds have already been produced by the best producers on earth, you might as well just take those sounds and uh you know, it's still your performance. You're still hitting, you know, the beats at the right times. I'm not like programming it, you know, beat by beat in a step recorder or some kind of sequencer. I'm I'm actually playing. Um but I found that, you know, the sound's pretty good. So, yeah, I, I do record music. Not enough lately. I've been really busy, but mm-hmm. I do enjoy doing it on the side for fun.
0: Well, and especially with, with uh, electronic drums like that, they have gotten to the point where they're not – I mean, you can add electronic triggers to an acoustic drum set, but you can also utilize uh, MIDI velocities on – a an electronic drum set and that will load up in like you were saying, tune track or superior drummer or whatever that will actually load up a separate sound that is supposedly triggered by the particular place that you hit the drum from all, all sorts of stuff like that. And so it's gotten to the point where the digital analogies to the analog drums are, they sound so, so, so much better. Um
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, I, you know, I think there's something about drums where that's, you know, they're getting there faster with drums than any other instruments because I think drums are just inherently less complex acoustically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, believe me, there's a lot to do there. I'm not saying this stuff is easy, but like compared to getting like an acoustic piano to sound exactly right with all those overtones and then, you know, it gets even harder when you try to do a violin or like a saxophone. Uh, you know, certain instruments are really, really hard to mimic in MIDI, uh, and they get better all the time, but like drums are almost there. I mean, they're almost to the point where I could play my, my kit through my tune track stuff and, and put it into a song and there's, you know, I'm convinced at this point that half the pop music we're hearing is, is recorded that way. Oh Yeah. Um, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I know for a fact that these tune track, uh, samples are being used on like actual popular music recordings. Uh, so it's, you know, it's getting past anybody who, who's not like one of these, you know, diehard audiophile people.
0: Yeah. I've got to ask, uh, do you have the the like Roland tension head style uh, drum pads?
1: Uh, I do for my snare and uh, then I okay. have, I have, I have one for my floor. T- I'm trying to get like the tonsil. My kid is a total like uh, Frankenstein. I've been putting it together piece <laughs> by piece. I bought, I bought the original set up from a poor kid who couldn't afford his rent. He was a college student or whatever. And he was like, oh, I got to sell the whole kid for 600 bucks. I'm like, yes, thank you. I'll take it. Um, man, what a deal. What a deal. Yeah. But then I've been slowly piece by piece, like getting, I got like a better hi hat and you know, better snare and like other little pieces one by one. And I don't, Throw that much money into it because I don't play it that often. But mm-hmm. man, it's a great way to release tension. You just you have a bad day, you just sit behind the kid for a while, and and you know I, I don't understand because most of the drummers I know are, are fairly loud and angry angry if I play drums for a living because it's just you know I, I just feel great and loose and like happy when I'm playing drums I'm so exhausted from it you know you're getting to beat things up all day long you know like, how can you be angry after that
0: yeah it, it drumming used to be basically the only form of working out that I would ever get right it's me sitting behind a kit in in the the dead of summer 100 degrees outside you're in a garage it's just that is like my equivalent to to getting out and and actually exercising Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Let's move on to what podcasts you're listening to. You were mentioning kind of digital uh, versions of amp modeling and things like that. I'm going to guess that you listen to Amplified, but what are, what are some of the, uh, the podcasts you're listening to right now?
1: That's a good guess. Uh, I like Jim Deverable quite a bit, so I always find him uh, entertaining. So I do listen to Amplified. I have been since the, the start of that show. Uh, other regular shows at this point, I listened to a lot of, uh, what's coming out of Renee Ritchie and I more uh, lately, uh, iterate is a big one for me as a designer. Uh, I started listening to debug despite myself. I thought it was going to be a t- like too technical a show and go right over my head, but those guys won me over. And, uh, yeah, I started listening to that podcast very regularly. Uh, I listened to core intuition. Uh, I've have been uh, listening to that one quite a while and, uh, let me think, Oh, uh, you know, untech related, I've, I've been a listener of uh mark maron's podcast wtf since the beginning like like literally before it was WTF. i've been listening to his podcast I, i'm a huge fan of comedians so I, I tend to follow a lot of comedians and uh listen to a lot of those of those types of things and and you know i follow a lot of them on twitter because they're hilarious um i trying to think about other shows i was listening to Unprofessional, but unfortunately they just ended that mm-hmm. um and a lot of shows get canceled and it's like oh man Um, I was listening to Daniel Daniel Jopka's uh, Bit Splitting. I do hope he brings that back because that was very interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of – Well,
0: you mentioned briefly uh, Marco Armin's Overcast Mm -hmm. and his sort of way that he has uh, cataloged different podcasts into these these sub-genres, if you will, inside of tech and philosophy and kind of the Mm -hmm. crossover that these different tech shows are trying to have – and you mentioned that that has been sort of part of the success of bringing on listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. Podcast discovery, I think, is also one of those things where it's kind of hard to to do that. I, and I don't necessarily remember exactly how I found your podcast, but I have stuck with it and I have continued to listen. Um, what has been, now that you're kind of in the podcasting world, has there been anything in particular for you discovering new podcasts to listen to or have you kind of hit your your limit of podcast listening
1: well my yeah i mean i'm one of those people that has to listen to every episode of whatever show i'm actually following so there are a few where if i hear a good guest is going to be on the show i'll just check that episode out uh and if i just listen to that and like if i can walk away safely then i will but a lot of times what will happen is uh, you know that's that's how i find out about a podcast you know someone i admire is a guest on somebody's show i've never heard of i go listen to that. That one episode, but then I like the host so much that I just keep listening, uh, so I do find that that is a great way to discover new podcasts is uh, just kind of try to follow the people that you like to listen to. Uh, I also just re- rely a lot on recommendations from friends. A lot of people will tell me like, "Hey, you should be listening to this or you should check out this show." Uh, other friends of mine start their own shows and i 'm always going to check those out and see you know what they 're about and you know if I stop listening to your show it 's not because i don 't like you per se, but sometimes it, it really is a limited time thing. You, there's only so many shows you can listen to regularly. And the one thing I don't let myself do is have a bunch of podcasts, like sitting in a back catalog. If I have more than seven or eight episodes in a week to listen to, I'm going to start getting anxious, (laughs) you know? Right. Uh, if I know I'm going to be traveling, I'm going to be on an airplane for a few hours then that's great. I'll try, I'll go out and look for a couple of random episodes of, of podcasts that I haven't heard of or that I have heard of, but never got around to starting to listen to, uh, and things like that, um, you know, you know, I'll pick up things that way, but I don't have an official sort of podcast discovery. I, I never go to iTunes to look for podcasts, although I've had people tell me that they found our podcast that way. Even hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, people find our show all kinds of ways, uh, which is great. Uh, but, you know, it's just the, getting that word of mouth, that kind of buzz out. We kind of always uh, out of right out of the gate. We had you know more listeners than we'd imagined we would like, I'm like, I don't know this many people, <laughs> you know, how did all these people start listening. Uh, and then it, it's been growing pretty steadily and, but you know, nicely, uh, the thing that I track more than anything with our podcast is not how many listeners we have, but like, are they coming back? So if we get a spike of an extra couple hundred listeners this week, I want to see if they're all around next week. Because uh, if they're not, then that means they just kind of came in, checked out the show, didn't like it that much, and moved on. I, I, what I'm interested in is getting you know permanent listeners who come in and stay regularly.
0: And so you're uh, you're gauging that through feed numbers, I'm guessing through something like Feedburner or uh, consistent mm-hmm. download numbers.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Libsyn's giving us stats on you know how many people are downloading the episode from week to week, and so we just kind of keep track of that. And, and you know, again, we don't get obsessed with the numbers. We're happy that there are people who like the show and are listening. Uh, but, and, and the general trend, as long as the general trend is that the show is growing and not shrinking, then we feel that's a, that's a good, uh, indication that we're doing something right. And you know, we just keep doing what we do. Uh, and then we get a lot of good feedback from people. You know, a lot of people just, you know, throw you a quick, you know, Hey, the show was great this week on, on Twitter. Other people will email you. Uh, you know, we got a lot of nice reviews on iTunes, which I, I wasn't even looking for several months that I just, I kept saying at the end of the episode, Hey, throw us a review on iTunes. And I didn't even go back to look and and I noticed that, you know, we've got a pretty good rating there and lots of nice, well, uh, you know, good thoughts on the reviews as well. So, yeah, and as far as discovering new podcasts go, you know, it's mostly word of mouth. It's mostly from mm-hmm. other podcasters or for other people that I trust telling me you should check out this show or that show.
0: Yeah, iTunes has been, I have found iTunes to be kind of hit and miss in terms of especially trying to discover new things or find find the thing you're even looking for, even searching searching for you know, a show. If you search um, the, the show I host, uh, Transmission, you end up not finding any uh, anything related to to my show at all. Um, right. So it's it makes it really difficult to even if you tell people by word of mouth in person or or over Twitter and you mention something in particular, unless there is an easy way to go and find that or search for it and find it through these different services, it it makes it really really difficult to connect. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And that's why, you know, I, that's one of the things I liked about what, uh, Mark Armand did in Overcast when that came out. What really impressed me when I, when I uh, first launched that app was when I looked in his, his, uh, you know, his section of recommended podcasts, which is actually personally curated. I know a lot of people complained to him <laughs> about the, you know, oh, there aren't that many shows and they're, they're mostly American shows. And this and I'm like, I get that, but he's doing this all himself. You know, he's not grabbing, you know, and so he, he put them all into these categories and, you know, he was nice enough to put our show on under Apple development, uh, you know, one of the categories. Um, but again, here's someone I respect who has similar taste to me in some respects recommending things that he likes. And therefore that's going to weigh more with me than a search on iTunes, you know, which is just, like you said, it's just a random thing. And it's not even that great a search because Apple's not all that great at search. Yeah. Um, so I do like that. I mean, it's, it's probably not scalable. I hate using words like that, but it, you know what I mean? It's probably not something that you could use to, you know, there's so many podcasts out there, there's millions of them. It's not going to work if one person's trying to recommend, but it's almost more valuable. You know, in, uh, another one is David Smith. I forgot. Developing Perspective as another podcast I love. Um, and he's great at that. He'll just say, here's all the stuff I listen to. You know, mm-hmm. Go check it out. And he had an episode where he just mentioned a bunch of podcasts. And so, of course, I'm going to go check out a bunch of those. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, a recommendation coming from someone I personally know and trust is always going to be more valuable. And I'm more, much more likely to actually give that than a, a listen. And the other thing is right there, again, you know, when you see a list like that, if it's in the show notes and there are actually links you know, or if it's you know in Overcast where you can actually just press the button and subscribe immediately. I mean, that really takes away that friction point, like you said. If if I've heard of the show, but then I can't, I have to go search for it physically and try to find it. You know, uh, it becomes a lot harder to to uh, to get to get myself to actually subscribe and then listen to a show.
0: Yeah, so good.
1: No, I was gonna say, you know, whatever you can do to take away, like even the two or three clicks and and a couple of strokes of typing, uh, you know, whatever you can do to make it a one button process is just gonna make it that much more likely that I do it.
0: And especially from your perspective, knowing kind of, I mean, you you stumbled a bit at the beginning speaking between users and listeners, and I think it's an important distinction that you are able to make, especially as a host, because you treat your podcast either kind of as a service or or like a performance there there are little aspects to your understanding of the content that you're putting out that makes it really interesting to to listeners and and you treat them kind of with with the respect of understanding that finding it and consuming the content is taking up some of their time so you want to limit that friction as much as possible think like that I I don't think I'm asking a question, but it's it's interesting coming from your perspective and and having that that take on on podcasting specifically. So sp- speaking of applications, what applications are you using to listen to podcasts right now?
1: Uh, my main podcasting app that pretty much I'm using all the time uh, is is actually Castro on the iPhone. Mm. Um and so I mentioned Overcast earlier, and I did download it when it came out, like everyone checked it out. I gave Marco his money because it's an amazing app. Uh, but it's funny because Marco is on the, the talk show. It's another one I forgot about that I listen to all the time with uh, Gruber. And uh, he was talking about, you know, th- you know, they were talking about different podcasting apps. And Now there's so many different ones. And when they got to talk about Castro, he said, yeah, you know, that's a really good app. I just think it's like a Twitterific versus Tweetbot thing, which basically is, it's just a matter of taste. You know, it's, it's, a, it's all about how you approach listening to podcasts. Uh, you know, so if you're a kind of person who likes, uh, uses a lot of playlists and stuff like that, I can see why uh, an app like Castro wouldn't make you happy and you'd, you'd rather go into Overcast, which really does that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's just something, I'm a Twitterific guy and, and I'm also a Castro kind of guy. So it was funny. I was l- using Overcast for a couple of weeks and I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was great. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it, it turned out to not be the app for me at the end of the day. And that is not, you know, by way of I'm not trying to say in any way, shape or form that it's not a great app because it absolutely is. Uh, and I'm glad I paid for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I just there's something about the way the Castro approaches the experience of just, you know, launching the thing. I just see you know, I keep it all in the episode list at all times and I just see the the five or six episodes I haven't listened to yet. Uh, and that's all I really need, generally speaking, is to is to have that and, and just hit play and, and listen to it. Um, whereas Overcast, I mean, I, I really liked what I, the, the part that made that hard was that I did like these, uh, the two features that Overcast added, which were the, uh, the sound boost and, uh, the smart speed. Mm-hmm. I thought they, I thought they were both very interesting. Uh, and the, the, the I was shocked that the boost, the sound boost in particular sounded as good as it did. Usually that it's like that little Dolby button on your old tape deck back in the eighties, <laughs> you know,
0: it's, yeah. Just
1: made everything sound base horrible. I thought it was going to be something like that, but it actually did make most podcasts sound better, and that shocked me. Um, so he did with that was pretty brilliant. And the smart speed thing is interesting, but then I couldn't listen. And what this was the deciding factor for me it was like, I, I can't listen to Charles with smart speed. <laughs> and it's, it's like when I'm listening to our own episodes, <laughs> uh, Charles has this kind of midwestern pace, uh, and he pauses naturally. Uh, in between his lines and his sentence and he takes things slowly and he considers what he's saying and he repeats himself a few times. And that is part of his voice. And I had to learn the hard way when I started editing the podcast early on, cause I do all the, all the chopping out of the ums and the, you know, any kind of like little edits that end up having uh, to take place. And I was editing way too much when I got, when I dug into Charles, I was ripping out like all the silence in between, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what he was saying and he, they, you know, what he, like, he basically just kind of wrote back when I you know, sent him the episode uh, before we made it public. He, would, he just wrote back to me, it doesn't sound like me. <laughs> and I listened to it again, and I'm like, well, I don't know what you sound like because I, I barely know you. you know? So it, it took me a few weeks to realize what he was talking about, that I was, I was chopping out too much of his pacing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I feel like for most people, like I talk a mile a minute, I go like three hundred miles an hour, and I don't pause, and I just keep yapping away. And so, like when I do pause, it's fine to just rip that out. And with most conversations, I think Smart speed works really well. Uh, but for certain people, I wouldn't want to listen to them that way. The same way that I can't listen to certain people fast, you know, versus slow. It's it's just like a, a preference kind of thing. Now he did have you the ability to shut that off when you didn't want to use it, but. That was sort of a deciding factor for me. I just sort of, you know, after a few weeks of listening to both and like, you know, playing but going back and forth, I kind of landed on Castro again, which I had been using for a few years. I used uh, Downcast uh, years ago, and it, there was nothing wrong with that app. I just felt like it was more, more than I needed, you know. And, and that's the other thing, like, like playlists and all that extra stuff uh, bells and whistles in the app i really don't need all i need is like show me the five or six episodes i haven't listened to yet and let me just listen to them and i don't want to listen to them in a certain order i don't want the computer to pick them for me and you now all this complex algorithms of figuring out which episode is next like i don't like automatic anything i just want to choose that you know i'm in the mood for mark baron right now i'm gonna laugh you know boom i'll put this on or i'm in the mood for a tech you know a highly technical show i'm gonna listen to that one uh i'm not yeah i I want to choose manually and when the episode ends, I want it to just stop <laughs> you know and so Castro does that for me. It's just super simple it's an elegant app it's 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 beautifully written it never crashes on me, and it's very reliable in terms of downloading the episodes pretty quickly for me so that's right that's right
0: it's a really fine line between um it's kind of what's happening with Twitter right now it's they are taking charge of the tweets that you end up seeing in your timeline um and there are people complaining that you know the the reason that my timeline is catered to me is because i made it that way and it's kind of it's the same thing for podcasts um you know you it's all based through rss and you pipe in the things that you wanted inside of of that application you don't really kind of want any other any other fluff it's just it is what it is you select the one the ones that you want to end up listening to and uh and it's all con- it's kind of a, a very controlling thing and i i, to- I totally relate to that totally relate yeah. to that
1: yeah, and I thought that, you know, not having a, an iOS or an iPad app and not having a Mac app and syncing. you know, I thought, you know, when I first started using Castro, I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer because I had been using that with, with Downcast. And then I realized that I listened to, you know, podcasts on my Mac like, you know, once a year, <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. or, you know and, and then just keeping them in sync was, you know, that's never going to be perfect. So there's always going to be those episodes I already listened to that didn't get marked sync for whatever reason. Like I almost prefer to not have a syncing solution and just rely on my phone to be that podcast device i always have my phone with me even when if i'm sitting at my computer so yeah,
0: yeah. well it's okay. smart smart speed in particular know. um is one of those things that isn't part of overcast's web client or web website web web portal if you will mm-hmm. um so it, i find myself in a pinch using the uh using the website but i will i will quite literally stand at my computer plug in my headphones to my phone and utilize that smart speed just because it is that that quintessential feature of overcast that I I want to use. Mm-hmm. That isn't available on on the web.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if it ever will be necessarily. I don't right. know if he could do that on the web, but yeah. uh yeah, I, I go to great lengths to avoid a web client of any kind. I really hate, I hate browsers. <laughs> I, they're called browsers for a reason, right? They're great for browsing the web. That's yep. about all they're good for. People yep. want to use them as apps and I'll, I'll never understand that. It's. I've been hearing it since the early 2000s that the browsers are going to take over the world and it just hasn't happened yet.
0: <laughs> well, Joe, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on uh, Show Me Your Mic. You can follow Joe J. Chaplinski on Twitter. Uh, you're also over at ReleaseNotes.tv. Um, and I heard that you will also be speaking at Cocoa Love, which is a conference for Mac and iOS developers, uh, being held in Philadelphia October 24th through the 26th. So you can go over to uh, CocoaLove.org, buy your ticket, uh, and for more information. Is there any other? Are there any other gigs that you are uh, a part of soon?
1: Uh, well that, that's new. Uh, well, no, by the time this airs, I'll be at 360 iDev where I'm speaking there as well. Ah, okay. Uh, but, and then of course you can always get uh, more information about our apps at bombingbrain.com.
0: Awesome. You can find the uh, links to everything that we have talked about in this episode over at goodstufffm slash S M Y M slash 48. And you can follow the show on Twitter S M Y M underscore FM. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.